Welcome to another episode of Prep Yourself. Oh, thanks. Um, this is going to be a special episode. We're going to talk about a very specific natural disaster, and we're going to have a guest. Yes. When we started this, we didn't think that it was going to be about natural disasters and the sort of um, like commentary of what happened afterwards. Remember, we were like, this is about prepping. It's about getting <laughs> ready for those kinds of things. And we never want to talk about, oh, the government should have done this or that, or the people weren't prepared, and obviously they're in a bad position now. That's not what this is at all. I think the more that you find out, though, about prepping, the more interest you naturally have in how the response efforts, because you're like, I'm going to need a hero, and I want to know who my heroes are. Yeah, me and me. (laughs) You and your wine collection. (laughs) That's who the heroes are. I'm ready. Well, Google and Facebook think that all I do is prepping. because (laughs) That's all the ads I get ever now. I love it. So Um, 21 episodes in, they have me. They they know who you are. (laughs) And our other 20 listeners, that's all they're getting. (laughs) The the other 20, anyone who's clicked through on our our webpage, Facebook. Facebook. (laughs) They know that now they have all, that's only prepping. They're like, if you like this obviously you're going to buy all this junk and plus because we're constantly <laughs> plugging for i don't items. understand why i don't get free offers <laughs> for all the stuff that we plug violate like hello violate owes us a lot Someone we are there. their we are their spokespeople I'm so keeping our seats <laughs> so, um so this week we're going to talk about puerto rico and hurricane maria yeah remember puerto rico I hope that you've been thinking about it because it is still not in a good place. It's fresh in the news this week that they still have um, two-thirds of the island without electricity or or without um, continuous electricity. But I don't have to make these assumptions because we do have a guest. We haven't. I mean, expert might be a strong word, but... I think expert. I'm going with expert. Enthusiast? (laughs) (laughs) The volunteer enthusiast. (laughs) We have my friend Dan Halpert with us virtually. Hi, guys. (laughs) Where are you right now, Dan? Uh, I'm in Washington, D.C. right now. See, another amazing accomplishment on our side. We're beaming people from all over the universe <laughs> to just talk with you guys about disasters. So, Dan, how did you end up on talking to us right now? Um, so I used to live in Seattle, and Lex was a good buddy of mine. Um, and so she got in touch with me, asked if I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience in Puerto Rico. Not on vacation. As a hardcore volunteer helping in relief efforts, I was staff, actually. I was not a volunteer. Well, look at you, getting paid and everything. (laughs) Finally, it's about damn time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's about damn time because we also didn't mention that Dan spent two or three years in the Peace Corps. Uh, Three years. I thought you extended that. So uh, in Panama, helping with uh, water, is that? Right, water and sanitation projects in indigenous communities. That's amazing. In the middle of the freaking jungle. So... 
so you so you are an expert (laughs) you can go with full-on expert instead of enthusiast pennies for my thoughts um (laughs) so did did you end up in puerto rico just specifically like after hurricane maria or did you have designs to go there to um be a staff otherwise so i i was actually i finished peace corps on september 1st uh and at the end of september is when the storm hit and so i knew there was a lot of uh need for someone who worked in water and sanitation because a lot of communities were without water um and so i was vaguely looking I was on vacation, though. I'm not going to lie. I was traveling in Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia. And so I was not I was kind of looking, but not as hard as I should have been looking. Um, and then <laughs> Is that for Adam, your mom? <laughs> no, mom, I was looking. for my Gosh. guilt. Uh, and then out of nowhere, this organization contacted me with pretty much an offer ready to go to uh, go to Puerto Rico as a consultant for three months and design their water and sanitation program. Wow. That's incredible. So you were an expert. Someone called you and they were like, we need you, Dan. And you like put on your Indiana Jones hat and went over to yeah, Puerto Rico. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. Can we get a picture of you in that Indiana Jones hat? <laughs> we like to have visuals with our podcast. Yes. Well, actually, I had the Superman ass shaved into my chest hair. So it was, uh, it was great. <laughs> Perfect. I, I mean, seventy-five percent believe that. Dan. I mean, why wouldn't you do that if you're going to go help? You're going to save the day. It's you a, never know when you're going to need it, so I, I keep it, it well maintained. Just rip your shirt off. <laughs> awesome. Oh man. So you fly in, and you you so you're you leave vacation, and you fly in. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little, just for a minute about uh, the hurricane, uh, Hurricane Maria specifically. So mid September, there was Hurricane. Irma hit right. Puerto Rico first and and there was although it was a pretty bad one the main part of the hurricane had gone past but it was like 100 mile per hour winds and mm-hmm. all sorts of crazy business and there was a there was a lot of power loss but not much infrastructure like a million people out of power right mm-hmm. and and then um, she's a third of the island yeah. a third yeah <laughs> and a lot of people without water right and then um, essentially a week later, was it seven days? About seven mm-hmm. days later, um, Maria came and just bashed in the island for like 30 hours. And yep. and it's what they would consider a catastrophic. It was a five? Four. four. I think it was a high category four when it yeah. hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and five. we can get super science right now. There are some tropical cyclones, some eye wall containment, something like that. Category four. Category it's four. <laughs> still really serious, especially and after. It had already been hit. Right. Yeah. And the longevity of it. it. The fact that it just like hovered there to smash it. Sure. And mm-hmm. so they consider, consider it more of a catastrophe because so much infrastructure was destroyed. Does all of that sound right, Dan? Yes, it does. Is that problem? <laughs> the challenge was that the, the eye passed diagonally across the island. Um, so it just like, there's never been a hurricane that just target hit the bullseye across Puerto Rico. There's been other hurricanes that have been bad, but they've, you know, either sideswiped one coast or the other, but never something that just went straight through on the island the whole time. For so long. Right. Well, and don't count out the influence that hurricane Irma has. It has a huge influence because it weakened everything. 
you know, when a, when a hurricane passes through, um, it, it weakens all of the, I mean, something like Irma, which wasn't that bad, but still obviously hundred mile winds is nothing to sneeze at, but, uh, it weakens everything. And then when, because the hurricane went straight across the Island, the wind goes in one direction and then the eye hits and then the wind goes in the other direction. So it's, it's especially damaging. Wow. I'm like, did you, I was just was like, so into, I'm like, what? And then what? <laughs> so how, so what day, so that was like on September 20th when they actually hit, when did you actually get to um, Puerto Rico? I got there on October 10th. Nice. So essentially two, two and a half weeks, weeks later. Then. Yeah, exactly. What were your first impressions when you got there? Every single leaf was ripped off of every single tree. And so it looked like just a series of sticks popping up out of the ground uh, with all the major branches that had been also ripped off. So it was very strange. It almost looked like winter in much of the U.S., Um, not so much Seattle because all the damn evergreens but uh, <laughs> everywhere else it looked like winter except that like it, these were just sticks it looks it looked like toothpicks you know because all the big branches were also ripped off um that was my first uh my first impression because it's really stark especially you're in the tropics it, there yeah, should never be yeah, trees without leaves you're used to it just being lush that's right, crazy yeah, like, yeah um and my second, my second impression was how bad the infrastructure was. Like just frayed wires on this in the middle of the road, giant trees that fell down the main highway. You know, just uh, huge potholes everywhere. No matter where you go, it's like driving on the surface of the moon. Um, and of course, that's not because of the hurricane. That's just the way it is. It's that's just yeah, that's just Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then what, what did, what was your project organized? Like how many other people, so you were coming there to kind of create a program. How Mm -hmm. like, did you have a team? How many people were there working with the organization that you were with? So with the organization, there was about, I don't know, at any any given time between five and 10, uh, staff members there. Um, but it's primarily a volunteer based organization. So we would bring in, doctors, nurses, psychiatrists, pharmacists from basically medical professionals from all over the U.S. uh, to come down and run mobile medical clinics. So in any given day, we pop up at a at a town or a city or depending on you a community center, wherever, uh, and provide medical services to people who are also looking for food and water handouts. So would you stay in one location for a couple of days? Uh, it depended. We would usually we usually had um, every day planned. So if there was a place that clearly needed follow up, we'd go back a few days later. We'd plan it, you know, in advance rather than just showing up the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this organization's been around for 60 years doing these kind of medical clinics uh, in disaster scenarios, among a host of other things. But be when they got down there with the first groups of doctors and nurses, they recognized that there was a big problem with water uh, and a big opportunity to. Uh, expand their operation, which is primarily based in in uh, health, in medical services, um, they could expand it into water and sanitation, which was a growing problem. Um, and that's why I got called, because they wanted someone to design the program who had experience with, with those topics. Uh, and so after a few, after a couple of weeks of kind of doing a needs assessment, which is something you always have to do to figure out what you, what is needed, uh, we decided to 
expand the medical clinics to also have a short 20 to 30 minute training on a variety of water and sanitation topics, like how to treat your water, store your water, control pests, how disease is transmitted, et cetera, et cetera, to, to try and help people manage their own health in their homes. Uh, we're going to need episodes on all of those items. <laughs> <laughs> you know where to reach me. <laughs> I, did you know that you were going to be the third host of Prep Yourself? <laughs> it's going to get confusing you'll, with Dan and Danny. You'll be the facts <laughs> portion of the episode. They'll yeah. be like, oh, that was a bunch of nonsense. Here are some facts. <laughs> so I can't just make fart jokes in the corner? Of oh, course, you can. you can do that too. Okay, <laughs> just good. don't make them funnier than our jokes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll have to, you'll have I'm to gauge. start my own competing podcast. <laughs> Please don't. But, but it's just facts and farts. It's just facts and farting. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you, I, that sounds amazing. I, it, it seems like with a group like that, you would have um, like in the evenings, really good dinner conversation with just like doctors and stuff from all over the country. Yes. So it's funny because it's this mix of doctors from all over the country who mostly, a lot of whom uh, volunteer with organizations like this all over the world. So they've got some crazy stories. And then the staff is mostly people who have a career in development or emergency management who are from all, like I worked with people from Macedonia and from Ethiopia and from, you know, all over the U.S. and Dominican Republic and Mexico and and a number of African countries as well. Um and they've, they've also got their own sense of crazy stories. So it, there's a lot of fun uh, that gets thrown around. Oh. Like with the development workers, it usually becomes like, what's the craziest thing you've eaten? Um, oh. Okay, like, well, then which, I want to know that. Obviously. You have a prepared answer. Let's hear it. Um, my own is probably like a giant jungle rodent, uh, yeah. which is delicious, by oh. the way. Really t- How probably, giant uh, is this rodent? Like the size of uh, a, a medium-sized dog. So an R O U S. Oh my God. Yeah. Like a, like a rodents of unusual size. (laughs) That just, I I just had to back away from the microphone when you said it was a rodent that you ate. (laughs) Oh, that's like tame though. Like my coworkers have eaten like monkey arms and cow brains and all sorts of weird things. Anybody eating babies? Cause that's Danny's main focus (laughs) on culinary. Oh my God. I haven't talked about eating babies in a while. Did anyone seem... Um, like they were close to eating a baby, like they were that hungry. A baby what? <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> you fill in the blanks. Monkey, <laughs> lizard, human. No? <laughs> no? So, still... Again, Danny, it's just you. Okay, but sometimes I'm real hungry. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay, so you you guys are, how, how were the actual, did you feel like you were able to have a fulfilling role in kind of what you went there to do with any of the communities? Yeah. Um, so, okay. It was with water and sanitation work, you have to focus equally on education and on infrastructure, right? You can't just build someone this beautiful water system if they don't know how to treat the water, if they don't know how to maintain their water or in, in certain countries in certain scenarios, they don't know what it means and why you wash your hands, you know, right. You can build this beautiful system, but if they don't have that knowledge, it's as if, if, as if you had done nothing and vice versa, if you only educate, but don't work on infrastructure, it's again, there, there are huge holes. What I found when I got there was that every NGO was talking about infrastructure 
about fixing systems, about handing out filters. And no one was talking about what little things people can do day to day in their own homes to protect their health. Things that, that like uh, most people take for granted and don't even have to think about. But then when the service is no longer there, you do have to think about it, but you might not know. So I decided to focus our program mostly on education um, to kind of counterbalance some of the other NGOs that were handing out filters, handing out you know, chlorine tablets, uh, fixing, working literally on plumbing systems. Um, and that proved to be uh, like a, turned to be a good call in the long run because it was a, it was a, an unfilled need. That's really cool. Yeah. I can completely see that. Cause I was going to ask you what kind of cool stuff did they bring in there? Like life straws or iodine yeah. tablets and helping people yep. out, but you make a so great point. Yeah. There's plenty of that stuff that they hand out all these beautiful filters with instructions in English. You're oh, thinking, well, goodness. we're in Latin America. Oh. People don't necessarily speak English. Did I mean, <laughs> did you have did you like help translate that kind of stuff? No, because usually I mean, A it was other NGOs, so they don't for sure. you know, give a damn what I think. Uh, can I say damn on the you know, I mean, for I'm sure. We this care. Is, we this give is a the damn. web. This is the web. We could do what we want. Okay. <laughs> FCC ain't got it. <laughs> we, we, they only listen to us on the dark web. That's what <laughs> <Move over. laughs> this is what kind of podcast this is. Move over NPR. We and actually don't nerdy. broadcast it at all. It's just for uh... <laughs> it's just it's just us. We're not even recording right now. We just pretend <laughs> like we're recording. Sorry, Dan. Okay. <laughs> well, anyways, they don't care what I think. And uh, I did translate a few of the kits that we handed out, not even necessarily to make them uh, into Spanish, because some of them were in Spanish, but they were just dense and confusing. And the average person, like I had to read them two or three times, and I have experience in this. The average person isn't going to, you know, have that wherewithal to understand especially when they're desperate and when they're you know they need these services yeah sure what, what how hot was it uh it was much hotter in october when i got there um maybe high of 90 90 something uh and very humid and low of i don't know 78 um but then and also because there were no leaves anywhere there was no shade anywhere there's no yeah. electricity so there was no air conditioning okay. or fans even so it was hot at first. Then slowly things got much cooler, partially because it's winter. And so it was like high of 80 and low of 70. And that was really nice. What were your accommodations like? Uh, so when I first got there, um, we were staying in a group apartment. So like a small apartment with like 15 people crammed into and no electricity. Uh, actually, it was above the floor where all the generators, uh, the diesel oh. generators were oh, no. housed. And so like this, this heat would seep <laughs> through the floor. And, and just, basically, we called it the sauna. Like, it was literally that hot. Sexy. And that's what you did. There was no light, but like we had enough power from the generator to power a couple of fans. And I, I guess that helped. But oh, my God. You are a saint. <laughs> For real. And then by the end, I was living in like this beautiful house with a pool because things got better. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean things got better? You just like Wait, gave a life straw to the right guy <laughs> and he was like, come stay at my fancy house. <laughs> no. Well, no. but uh, Kind of. No, but by the end, like most of San Juan, most of the metro areas had power and a lot of people had left the island. Uh, and so there were a lot of houses for rent. Yeah, good point. So I read an article about how a lot of students from the University of Puerto Rico were given offers by 
universities in New York, like Columbia, New York University, City University of New York, to come and continue their studies there as long as they paid tuition to their home university. So when you got there compared to when you left, what was the population like? Like who was still there? Yeah. So slowly for years now, we the, the U.S. has been seeping out, you know, pe- uh, large groups of people. Um, like I like to say that Puerto Rico's biggest export are brains. Mm-hmm. Um, um, not in the zombie sense, but in the... Like, <laughs> no, I'm going to go with brains. As a, they like educate a... them there and then send them out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it was estimated that like 200,000 people have left Puerto Rico. Um, and just out of a population the... of three point, just since the hurricane, Whoa. out of and um, out of a population of three point four million, that's significant. Yeah, especially for a country whose, um, I guess, a territory of the U.S. that was, you know, already in such bad debt since like right. two thousand five, two thousand six. They've been in horrible debt, and right. that's why, like, some people. Um, like our president or like this <laughs> Some country people, is like us the war. worst person who ever And we're like, existed. it's not a country. It's actually part of the U.S. And it's like, it's well, guys. that's that's the interesting thing. They say it's a country. Yeah. So they don't identify as half, American. If I they had identify a as Puerto Rican. half hour, I would do the whole history that I looked up on Puerto Rico from Christopher Columbus through annexation to the u.s and invasions and tax laws mm-hmm. and all this Dan, um, you mentioned earlier too the thing about puerto rico the whole answer to the war ah uh, yeah um so one of the most interesting theories that i heard from a friend of mine who's puerto rico puerto rican was that puerto rico was the the caribbean's capital shining beacon of of what a capital country capitalist country could be um, in comparison to Cuba, which was the Soviet Union's response to what communism could be. And so places like Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Haiti um, could kind of look to one or the other to see which worldview worked best. Um, and at the time, Cuba was incredibly, I mean, still is, but incredibly impoverished. Uh, and Puerto Rico was doing quite well, actually. Um, and then once the Soviet Union fell, the U.S. stopped uh, investing resources in Puerto Rico. I don't know if that's true, but I thought it was interesting. No, I, I think I, from the stuff you read. With, yes, I would say from the history that I read, that would be true. Um, they were given more rights and more um, like citizenship when World War One was happening. And then mm-hmm. again, when World War Two was happening because they wanted to draft people into the army. So like yeah. 200,000 people were drafted into the army or 20,000 people were drafted into the army um in world war Two, and then after that then they vote you know the other way and then they don't have as many rights um and then they have the highest sales tax of any place in the u.s mm-hmm. which i think is pretty crazy but they have a great tax um benefit for businesses they don't pay any taxes at all so they set mm-hmm. up business there employ people export there, whatever. A lot of tech companies are there because there isn't like a physical export. Yeah. Um, pharmaceuticals too. Pharmaceuticals, which I think people are starting to hear a lot about now because there's such a shortage in pharmaceutical supplies that were per, that were manufactured in Puerto Rico. And hi, they can't 
there's no infrastructure to do it right now. They can't do it anymore. So like IV bags, that's been Mm -hmm. the hot topic um, that nurses are having to sit there with larger IV bags as opposed to smaller ones and like manually um, administer whatever they're giving them. And it's like those sorts of like compounding issues from a, a disaster like this that I think a lot of people would say we're not properly handling. We're not putting the money forth to support this um, part of our country. So I guess from that, I want to ask you, Dan, how were people feeling about the res- the American, the U.S. response there, the U.S. government response um, to the catastrophe? And there was a lot of drama with the mayor um, at the outset. So kind of what was the on-the-ground uh, experience like for that? Um, so they felt widely abandoned by the government of the United States of America um, and very well supported and fought for by their local government. Um, There's a ton of mistrust towards FEMA, towards uh, HHS, which is Human and Health Health and Human Services. Um, Just every every arm of the government that went down there, it was always that they could have been doing more. That was and maybe they could have. But if that's the overwhelming opinion, then that's the way it's going to be. You know, that's the way that people are seeing it. Then that's the, the reality. The, the reality, yeah. Uh, whether it is the reality or not. What was your personal, like, were you interacting or overlapping with any of those agencies? Yeah, extensively. Um, I, and, you know, it, this is my first disaster, right? I, I haven't, there are people who make their career in this. They jump from country to country and work with disasters and establish relationships uh, with not just FEMA, but also the, the UN equivalents of FEMA called Ocha. Um, anyways, uh, so my, my view of what happened here, obviously very limited based on this one experience. Um, and I did not think FEMA deserved all of the, the flack that they got from everybody. Um, I found maybe understaffed and under, uh, under, I don't know, with not enough resources. Um, but I found that a lot of the the people who were there were working their tails off to do what they could. And that wasn't just FEMA. It's not, it's never just FEMA. You know, it's the department of defense, so all of the branches of the military, it's health and human services. It's, um, you know, even there's this thing called surge capacity, which is so many people from other agencies who volunteer to help out when there's a staff shortage. So I worked with people from NASA and from the EPA and from, Oh, wow. Uh, that's cool the FBI and from all in not just federal government, state government, uh, was, was mobilized as well. Um, and part of that I think is, is representative of why FEMA got such a bad rep with this disaster. It's because FEMA had a hell of a year. Uh, they had hurricane Harvey in Texas. They Mm -hmm. had hurricane Irma, which did do damage in Florida. If it didn't in Puerto Rico, uh, they had the, <clears throat> they had the wildfires in California, all up and down the West. Um, bomb cyclone. They, bomb cyclone. <clears throat> yeah, but that was that was much later. I know. Um, We're, she just loves joke, to. She just was, loves to talk about the bomb cyclone. It was just a northeast storm. <laughs> um, but anyways, by the time Hurricane Maria rolled around, which was the last of these disasters, FEMA was already over overextended and overexposed in other other responses. That's a good point. I also read that. Um, Maria and Harvey, both that took place this year, 
were the second and third most expensive natural disasters, I think, in U.S. history behind oh, Katrina. Well. Behind Hurricane Katrina. That's Wikipedia, though. I mean, take it or leave it. <laughs> Anybody can go there and put facts. They're supposed facts. I actually just wrote it and put it on there, and then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's the truth. I know all the things. Yeah, but I think that's a great perspective, and that's why I wanted to talk to you, you know, someone who is there. Um, you know, we're in Washington State, kind of far from Puerto Rico. Uh, we get our information from the news, and whether it's fake or not. <laughs> we don't know. You have to decide. Um <laughs> So I think on this side, we were hearing, you know, in liberal media saying that the government wasn't responding. And I'm not saying that, you know, President Trump or Congress hasn't acted in their full capacity to support them. But I do believe that people that were there on the ground have to be busting their ass. I would 100 people because that's why they're in it. I would 100 percent say that our president had a problem. I mean, we there's the whole thing where um, uh, what hurricane was that? Oh, it was the Haitian earthquake. That's what it was. It was the earthquake in Haiti. This is like an article that I read that it was like super liberal media. (laughs) Like, (laughs) he sucks. Um, But anyways, yeah. So the Haitian earthquake and then he had a military and civilian. So 22,000 troops within two weeks had landed there. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. For Maria, there was like... There's 7,000 within the same time period. 7,000 yeah. troops? Yeah. Um, were you around the area or knew anyone who was there when President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump came to visit? In that, was the, that was like the week before I got there, I think. Um, and I heard a lot about it. Puerto Ricans do not have a lot of um, respect, let's call it, for Donald Trump. Uh, no, you don't the term, say. The, the word in Spanish, pendejo, gets thrown around a lot. That sounds and that's, bad. That's somewhere between like jackass and like dipshit. It's somewhere <laughs> between those two. And they love throwing that around when talking about Trump. All right. Uh, I think we have friends. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> we, we have friends in Puerto Rico. We certainly do. Can you, can you talk for a few minutes? I know that it is veering off of specifically Maria, but um, your experience with going in, in Panama and your experience with the Peace Corps and kind of the state of things there. Yeah, so that was a really interesting uh, point of, of context for me because I come from um, my experience in international development and water projects is in rural Panama um, where there is without a doubt abject poverty, you know, Uh, like people living in homes made of sticks and uh, drinking raw water out of a river that they carry in buckets back to their home, Um, shortages of food, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And in Puerto Rico, while it's commonly recognized as one of the poorest U.S. states or territories or whatever, um, there's no abject poverty. Uh, There's To be poor in Puerto Rico means you don't have... uh, air conditioning in your well-constructed home. Um, <clears throat> and, and so that was interesting for me to wrap my head around coming from where I was, uh, had been working for the last three and something years. Um, but the, the thing I always had to remind myself is that it's not, you can't rank suffering. You can't rank poverty because in the, in the case of Puerto Rico, while it was much better off than where I was working in Panama, 
these were people who were relatively comfortable and didn't have the knowledge or the ability to, or it didn't have the need to uh, worry about these problems. And then suddenly all of their support systems were ripped away from them. So they, they were, you know, less prepared for, for what was happening. Whereas the people in Panama don't have water, have never had water, don't expect to have water. So they just kind of, you know, use a latrine or find ways to get around it and have gut bacteria that can handle, you know, dirtier water and they make it work. Dang. Um, that makes me want to ask you about, was there any, did you get any sense of how well prepared the, uh, Puerto Rico was for a hurricane disaster like this? Yeah. Like what do they, what kind of measures do they usually, obviously Maria being catastrophic is its own thing, but do they usually call for evacuations or what would that even look like? Or what is kind of just the plan around when hurricanes are coming to the island? Just batten down the hatches? Good question. Um, I don't know. I wasn't there before. What at that? By the time I got there, it didn't really matter. You know, it was just let's deal with the problem at hand. Absolutely. Um, so you're saying our podcast is <laughs> null and void. <laughs> I will say, though, that uh, the infrastructure on the island was already terrible and that didn't help so they could have prepped themselves a little bit better um oh but i I do have an interesting anecdote about about like warning um one of my last days in puerto rico there was a a tsunami warning uh there was some (laughs) big hurricane in not hurricane earthquake in honduras and apparently there was this tsunami barreling towards puerto rico um, and I live right by the water. And everyone's and, going, are you kidding me? And I, no, and no one knew until the next morning that this happened. <laughs> what? And so, um. Did the governor had, forget they, their Twitter password? They da- No, it was the, the, her- the um, earthquake was at like 11 p.m. And the tsunami warning was issued at midnight. And I woke up the next morning and it had been downgraded to a, um, by like two, three or four a.m. or something, which is when the tsunami was should have been arriving. It oh had been downgraded to a lower grade, what? like a, a few inches or something. But there's no but like alarms going off or exactly. Uh. And the fact that no one even no one, people just woke up and were like, "Well, I guess we got lucky," is really disconcerting. So I make that joke about the Twitter password because there was that whole thing with the Hawaiian governor that forgot their t- Twitter password and couldn't tell people that it was just a false alarm. Um, but I would think that social media might play a role in that beyond like a big alarm system. So there's nothing like that. I mean, I'm sure there is social media. Um, but if everybody's but... sleeping and they have limited power, true, so they're turning true. off their phones. Yeah. True. It was the middle of the night too. Like I'm not That's on, crazy. no one's on Twitter then. Oh, um, but there should have been some sort I of a formal President alarm Trump system. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Gosh. What do you, so I also want to ask about how did the people there band together? I'm very interested if something ever happens in Seattle, I want to really Think know our that neighbors we're going to come we're through. Gonna pull together and we're going to work hard. And that was another criticism that I heard from the White House was, Oh, those people think that we're just going to give them everything and they don't have to work for it. People in Hurricane Harvey are working together. And I'm just like, that can't even possibly be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's 
something to keep in mind. Um, so Puerto Rico is about the same size geographically and size population wise as Connecticut, which is actually where I'm from. So like that, I try to think of it in that term. Um, and if all of Connecticut didn't have power and electricity, you would never say that, you know, all oh, those people from Connecticut, they just want us to give them water. Right. You'd never say that no. about, about the, uh, just because they're different than Trump. That's why he's saying that. Um, oh, are you saying he's racist? <laughs> yes. What? No. Um, where are you from in Connecticut? Fairfield. I went to high school in Torrington. With Jessica. No kidding. Oh, no kidding. That's funny. <laughs> so you guys know each other. Small world. Small world. Much like the island of Puerto Rico. So you would say and that there's people... also so many Puerto Ricans in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you would say that people did band together and generally help each other. Like, what was the civilian response to this disaster? Um, yeah, people definitely banded together and, and helped out their neighbors and worried about each other. And, you know, the, the culture is so family oriented and warmth, like just wonderful people who are warm and welcoming and caring, even when they have so many other things to worry about it doesn't matter um like you would see on lines people at uh people at on lines to get water and food and you know, ra emergency rations and things like that hugging each other and and you know they're still laughing they're still joking around you're still having you know life still happens even under the worst of, of circumstances um of course that can be misconstrued by some people as as you know for, but I saw it for what it was, was that you had to be resilient to get through something like that. Um, and if you don't laugh, you'll cry. You know what we call that? PMA. What? PMA. <laughs> Positive mental attitude. Yeah, It's absolutely. your biggest asset in a disaster. Absolutely. If, if you didn't water. know this, Dan, <laughs> your largest asset in a disaster is PMA. Your most important asset. Know. What was the best thing that you brought with you to this disaster? What could you not have done without? Other than your PMA. Good <laughs> question. Um, like a like a specific item? Sure. Yeah. Um, like a headlamp. I mean... I brought that. Ooh. Oh, and a multi-tool. I brought that. I brought those two things everywhere I went because it's you're gonna need them, especially the multi-tool. I, I think I use that every single day. Mm -hmm. um, just it's nice to be prepared. I love the time that it intersects where I both have my multi-tool and need it. I always feel like a badass. Like, don't worry, y'all. Got this. Yeah. I can unscrew that and saw that piece of wood, <laughs> and then I'll clip a little piece of rope right after. Nice. What was the thing that you wish you had had with you? Oh, oh, wait, before I answer that. So when I got uh, when I got this job with this NGO, they told me literally the quote was bring all the water you can carry. Oh. Um, and so I believed them. And so I went out and I bought a suitcase specifically for water <laughs> and I filled it with gallons of water and like those big plastic wrap things of water cases of water whatever they're called uh -huh. and and i took it very literally of how much water could i drag on a wheeled suitcase <laughs> and when i got there it was three weeks 
uh, after the storm and water was a little bit more easy to come by. So I got to the group house and they were like, oh, oh wow. another one who brought all this water. Just throw it on the pile in the corner. Like this, like this throne of cases of water. Oh, my gosh. Did you go through it? Uh, yeah, I think we handed most of it out, actually. I don't remember what it served a purpose. Any, anyone Good who job. stops by, you're like, and here's some water. <laughs> Take some and water. Thank you. <laughs> like, <bye>. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. So what did you wish you had with you? What did I wish? I mean, I was pretty well prepared. Like I was, um, I had like a camping hammock and things that if I needed to not sleep in a house, I was ready to go. Um, I'm, you know, I don't, I think I was pretty well prepared. Like I was coming from rugged scenario and in Panama and I was just kind of expecting that. And so I brought prepared for the worst and then it turned out to be a little bit more cushy after a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, Um, you already told us you became the pool boy at a fancy house. (laughs) I'm helping with the water in a different way. (laughs) I'm not arguing. Dan, thank you so much for this. Yeah, we really yeah. appreciate it. You're the best pool boy no ever. <laughs> um, I have last question for you on my side. I always am interested in this. What was your your like um, getaway? Did you like binge watch any TV shows? Did you have any good book series? So no, um, I'm not gonna lie. It was really challenging. I had no getaway. Um, I worked basically 12 to 15 hours for three months straight. Uh, I had five days off during my three months there. Oh my gosh. I remember uh, we tried to do this while you were there. And yeah. We were like, can we do it just... on a weekend? And then I was like, wait, do you have a weekend? <laughs> yeah. You're sort of there it. for a reason. And part of that was like the way the organization was run because we, we had volunteers doing clinics and you know you invite a doctor down to puerto rico you want to put him to work you're not just going to give him a day off right um and most of them are only there for a week or 10 days so they it doesn't matter but the staff it's a lot more challenging um so i i didn't really have a release um i think that's why i i could have re-signed my contract for another three months i was just burnt out i i, I was fried um and i it was time to move on well, now you're in Washington. What are you doing there? You recharging? Right now, no. I, I recharged in, with my family in Connecticut and in Boston for uh, the last two weeks or so. Um, and I just moved here, actually, to Washington, D.C. I'm staying with my cousins for now until I can find a job. And I'm trying to stay in, in international health development or emergency response. Nice. Well, with your interest in uh, brain eatings, I recommend you watch iZombie. I think that's a really great one to binge watch. Okay. While you're relaxing. Help you release anxiety. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, Dan, I have no doubt that you're going to land someplace awesome because you have so much great experience and you've done so much. I just, thanks for being on our podcast, but really thank you for helping our citizens out, you know, internationally and domestically. You're awesome. Yep, you are (laughs) awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for doing this, and good luck with the podcast. Thanks. Thank you.
us about um, the how you met me. Um, so Lex, you and I met through our mutual friend Kevin, um, who I was in a pottery class with when I used to live in Seattle from twenty what was that twenty twelve through twenty fourteen. Not too long. I completely um, forgot that that's how we met. Through pottery class with Kevin. Yeah, you didn't know that? <laughs> I, I think I probably just met you like through a drinking at the bar or something. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, what else did we do? But <laughs> it was through that that the connection was made. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Pottery. Kevin's pottery is bringing so many people together. <laughs> right. Oh, and of course, Mike and my mutual love of all Boston sports. Yes, you were immediately <laughs> oh, yes. welcomed into the Holzer family. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. 